You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out southhillsburbank.com. Hey, uh, we've been in this series the last two weeks called Dinner Parties, and um, it's been a really great, uh, to me, it's been a really great journey of looking at uh, a method that Jesus used to interact with people. Uh, Of all the ways that Jesus could have engaged the world, he chose in his three years of public ministry, he chose to have dinner with people. He chose to be invited. In the last two weeks, he chose to invite himself over to people's houses. And we've been talking the last two weeks. If you've missed them, go back and listen on our podcast or, or search us on YouTube. You can now watch the video on YouTube. We're posting those now. But uh, we... There's just been this journey of watching Jesus engage with people that culture and society had pushed aside. That you shouldn't have dinner, a religious person shouldn't have dinner with sinners and tax collectors. A religious person shouldn't have dinner with those who are lame or crippled or blind or hurting or broken. Jesus just pushed against the entire mold of what culture said was okay. And we love it. And we believe that's the church that Jesus came for. That's the church that he was trying to build. That's the church that he was hoping to leave behind. It's the church that the New Testament church was trying to create. And it's the church that South Hills wants to be. It's that type of church. But in order for us to be that kind of church, we have to break out of this mold that oftentimes we have created where we make assumptions. I'm sure you do this. I do it all the time. We make assumptions about a lot of things in life. We make assumptions about people. We make assumptions about places. You see a restaurant from the outside and you'll immediately make an assumption of what that restaurant is going to be like. And then somebody invites you to go to it and you actually enjoy it and you like it and you didn't think you would, but you end up liking it. And it goes against your initial assumption. We do it with people when we see people walking towards us on the street. Sometimes we make assumptions about that person based on the way they're dressed or maybe the people that they're hanging out with and we'll make assumptions about them will judge them essentially and i make all kinds of assumptions in my life and most of the time they're wrong i make an assumption that my wife just knows that i love her so why do i need to say it all the time right we've been married for almost 20 years we dated for a long time before that she knows by now i'm not going anywhere like we're we're good i love you do i really need to express it the way you need to hear it all the time but that's a really bad assumption. So for those of you that want to improve your marriage, work on that. Don't, don't assume. You know, I've assumed that the people that are close to me know that they're just always invited. Like if you want to come over, you're invited. If you just want to hang out, you're invited. If we throw a party at our house, you're invited. If there's something, I just assume that the people that are closest to me know you're always invited. I don't need to invite you. Until we like post a photo of a party we had and then they're like, oh, hey, so you guys did something Friday. And we're like, yeah, you were invited. And they're like, no, you never invited us. Oh, do I have to invite you? I thought you just knew. And then, yeah, you kind of need to invite me. And I didn't know that. Like, I just assumed that they would just know. And we all do this. You naturally assume that the people, when they come over to your home, just know to take their shoes off at the door. Not everybody does that. It's an assumption that we make. We assume That everybody knows that you don't use those little decorative soaps in the bathroom, but then people still do. And they use all of them at the same time. I don't even know how that's possible, but they take all of them out of the dish and they use five soaps of like little like seashells and stuff. And 
And you're like, why did you do that? Well, they were there. They're soaps, right? They don't get it. And I assume all the time as a dad that my kids would know better than to walk down the halls and have to touch the walls with both hands the whole time they walk down the hall with their grubby, dirty little hands. But they touch everything, and they have to, they have to hold the doorway when they walk through the doorways on every doorway in our home. If they turn a corner, they must hold themselves steady as they make that turn, just really wiping their hands on everything. And I would assume that they would know better, but they don't. And there's assumptions that we make in life that are, that are harmless, but a lot of times you and I make assumptions that get us into trouble. They create misunderstandings. They create dysfunction in relationships. They hurt people's feelings. They cause heartbreak. Or they cause us to miss out on something amazing altogether because we didn't even understand that it was an option in the first place. And what you and I sometimes do is we take for granted that other people might not know everything that we know. We make assumptions. And there's actually a term for this assumption that you and I make. It's called the curse of knowledge. There's this curse of knowledge that we have because we make assumptions that because we know something, other people should just know it. And here's what the curse of knowledge actually says. There's a definition on the screen. Once we know something, it's hard to remember what it was like to not know it making it difficult to put ourselves in the shoes of those on the outside looking in. See, you and I, the longer we're a part of something, the longer you're married, the less you remember what it was like to be single. The longer you're involved in a certain industry, the less you realize that people that aren't in that industry don't understand your industry because you've been in it for so long. And the longer you sit in church the less you remember what it was like to not go to church. The longer you have a relationship with Christ, the less you remember what it was like to not have a relationship with Christ. And so what we do is we make assumptions about the people on the outside. You see, I I would hope that I would know what what it takes to communicate and connect to a single adult. And sometimes I make assumptions about what a single adult might need or what they're, what they're wanting in their life. But to be honest, I have no idea what it feels like to be a single adult. But I can make a lot of assumptions, and usually my assumptions are incorrect. And this is what we do to people in our lives who maybe don't have a relationship with God or, or maybe they have a, a kind of understanding of who God is, but they don't really do church They're not really a part of church. They don't understand the value of church. We make assumptions about their life because we just think that they should know what we know. Because what we know is that God is good. And that God loves us unconditionally. And that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. That God's movement through Christ was for everyone. And that there's these environments like South Hills where... You can be non-judgmental and and you're allowed through the doors even if you're not perfect. And we assume that everyone just knows that. Of course people know those things. Of course people know that this church is a a church that's open to them walking through our doors. Of course they know that, that God wants to empower them to live life to the fullest. Not take away all their fun and ruin their life. That God wants them to have a life full of joy and peace. And we assume that people know that because that's what we might know. 
But the question that we need to wrestle with this morning is what if they don't know? What if the people in your life simply don't know what you know? And what if you've been assuming all this time that they understand what you've come to understand? But because it's been a little while for you, or because you were raised in the church, you've forgotten what it feels like. You've forgotten what it feels like to move through life without hope. You've forgotten what it feels like to not know a God that loves you personally. You've forgotten what it feels like to to live in community with other people. You've forgotten what it feels like to not have that. And so what we've done over time is we've assumed. And what we see in the New Testament is we see Paul actually asking this question. You see, in the book of Romans, there's, uh, in the New Testament, you have the, the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories of Jesus. Those are the Gospels. And then you have this next book. It's the, the book of Acts. Acts is the Acts of the early church, the Acts of the apostles when the church was forming. If you haven't read the book of Acts, you need to read the book of Acts. And then after that, you have these Pauline letters. You have this series of letters that Paul would write to churches and cities. So the names of those books correspond to the city that the churches were located in. So when you come to the book of Romans, it's Romans because Paul is writing a letter to this fledgling little church that's just starting out in Rome. And so Paul, who was completely aware of what life was like before Christ, Paul came to Jesus at, later in life. Paul had been persecuting the church. Paul had been arresting Christians. Paul had been seeing Christians murdered and killed. Paul was firsthand involved in, in leading the charge against Christianity. And then Paul has this amazing God moment, this conversion experience, and he comes full circle and he goes from being the guy that hunted Christians down to the guy that's now planting churches. And so when Paul writes this letter, Paul's writing this letter from a different frame of mind than maybe the other guys who've been with Jesus for numbers of years now. And he says this, that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. See, we could easily just assume that people know that. And the church... The early church could have easily assumed that people just know that. Well, yeah, if you call out to Jesus, then Jesus will save you. If you commit your life to him, he'll save you. If you ask him into your life, then he will save you. We might just assume that people know that. So then Paul asks a series of questions in verse 14. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14, in verse 14, here's what he says. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How would somebody call out to Jesus unless they believe that Jesus would actually respond and that Jesus would actually listen? So nobody's going to call out to Jesus if they don't believe first that Jesus would actually do something to help them. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? So you're not going to believe in something that you've never heard in, that you've never heard of, that you know nothing about. You don't know what you don't know. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they hear about Jesus unless somebody is willing to tell them? How are they going to hear that there's a God in heaven who sent his son to die on a cross for their sins, who loves them more than they could possibly comprehend unless someone is willing to tell them? 
And so for Paul to go to this level of teaching the early church, it makes me have to step back and say, okay, why is Paul making such a big deal out of this? I mean, why is Paul taking a concept that, to me, I would just assume that most people understand or that most people know? Why would Paul tell Christians to go out of their way to tell others that they're included? And I think Paul did it because it's what Jesus did. Paul's echoing the words of Jesus. And Jesus, over these last two weeks we've been looking at, Jesus was all about connecting the person that was far from God the person that society had kind of pushed aside, the person who was broken, who was hurting, who was a sinner, who was a tax collector, who was the worst of the worst. Jesus was all about connecting that person to the heart of God. And if Jesus was all about it, then that's exactly what Paul was going to be all about. And it's what he's trying to get the early church to understand that they need to be all about. And what we see with Jesus is we see this third dinner party that he's going to talk about. Jesus is actually going to talk about a dinner party, but this time it's not one that he personally is sitting in. It's one that he's going to tell us a parable about. So if you have a, if you have a Bible or you have an app or a phone or a device that you follow along with, if you don't have any of that, then you can look at the screen behind me. But we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling a series of parables, and he tells a parable about this banquet table that's going to be set. And he's relating the banquet table to the kingdom of God, to heaven, to our eternity. And what Jesus would do is he would oftentimes tell stories to relate really deep concepts to the average person. Because the average person may not understand the kingdom of God because they've never heard it talked about this way, but they can understand dinner. They can understand a banquet. They could understand the principles of farming, of planting seeds. And so Jesus would use these parables to tell stories about things that were kind of deep, that were kind of difficult to understand. And so Jesus tells this parable about a banquet table that was going to be set, and that at this banquet table you would find these four different groups of people. And he's very specific about these groups of people. He talks about the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Is he talking about just specific groups of people? No, he's using it as a metaphor that the people that society had pushed aside, that they would be invited to the table as well. So in other words, Jesus just tells this whole parable, this whole story about the inclusivity of the kingdom of God. And then a guy asks or makes this comment to which Jesus by this point has just got to be He's got to be tired of people not listening to the first story because then he has to come back and tell a second story. But this guy makes a comment and he says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. To which you're like, did you not listen to what I just said? You just, the guy just makes an assumption. First of all, he makes an assumption that he's going to be at the banquet table. He just assumes that he's in. So there's one assumption of just thinking that, well, I'm just automatically in. And then two, he makes an assumption that the dinner table is all about him. That the banquet is all about him. Man, it's going to feel good. It is going to feel so good one day to just sit at the table in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you another story. So then Jesus is now going to bring us to the parable that we're going to talk about this morning. 
It's Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, and Jesus is going to make sure that this man understands that the banquet table is not about you, it's about inviting. The banquet table is about making sure that every person knows that they are invited, that they are welcomed, and that they are wanted. Whether they're poor, whether they're crippled, whether they're lame or blind, whether they've been an outcast or they've been pushed aside or they've been forgotten about or they are not religious, they are welcome at the dinner table. So he says this, Jesus replied, verse 16, with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out invitations, many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Common practice, they would send out invitations to people because people didn't have like, they didn't have their cell phone with a calendar app. They didn't have like their dates all in order all the time. So the, uh, this guy who's a wealthy guy has many servants. They send out an invitation to let everybody know, hey guys, next weekend, throwing a big party, you're all invited. And then on the day of the party, you send a bunch of people out to go tell them, hey, the party is tonight, make sure you're there. We're ready for you. So that's what the guy's doing. He sends his servants out to tell everybody, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another says, I just bought five pair of, do- of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me, like they're a pair of shoes or something. I don't know what you do with five pairs of oxen that you need to try them out in that moment. But they decide, I guess, that they can't come to dinner because they've got these new oxen. And then verse 20, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I love that one. That was like just a personal favorite. Like when you're newly married and somebody offers you free dinner, you go. You just, you're just, yes, I'm there. You never use, I just got married as your excuse to get out of things. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. But they say, well, we just got married, so I can't come. Verse 21, so the servant returned and told his master what they had all said. And the master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor. Notice who he says to invite, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Exactly who he had just told a parable about a moment ago, who the guy that made his comment didn't understand. And so he's going to reiterate who's invited to the table. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. So check this out. So they go out and they, they invite the initial guest list. And the guest list is all denying and saying, making excuses of why they can't come. And most of their excuses are pretty lame excuses. So they're saying these excuses. They can't come to the dinner. They can't be a part of the banquet. So they come back and tell the master. The master is upset about it. And he says, listen, just go Find people. Go get the poor. Go get the the lame. Go get the crippled. Get the people that society has cast out. Get the people that are broken. Get the people that are hurting. Get the people that have been shoved aside and invite them to the table. So they go out and they find them and they invite them and they come back and say, listen, we, we got all of the people that have been pushed out that we could find and there's still room for more. There's still space. So the master said, go out into the country. So in other words, go out a step further. Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. You can can 
notice a shift in kind of the intensity of the master at this point. This desperation almost. Now listen, I understand there's space left, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the country. I want you to go a step further than you went before. I want you to find everybody that you can find. And I guess there was people back then that used to hide behind hedges. And so he said, look, look behind the hedges. If you see a guy behind a hedge, invite that guy. He's a crazy guy, but you can invite him. He's welcome. And just go find people. Go everywhere you can go and find people that don't know they're invited and invite them. Because why? I want my house to be full. I don't want any space left. I want every seat to be taken. I want every place setting at the table to be filled. But then we get caught, as Christians, we get caught on verse 24. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Well, that just feels very insensitive, Jesus. I can't believe it. You mean you're going to tell people they can't come now? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying what you and I would say. Listen, I invited you. And if you show up for my party that's Friday night on Saturday morning at 9, no. I don't have dinner for you. Like, it's what he's saying. Look, I invited you, and you rejected my invitation. So you're not going to get any dinner at my party because you rejected it. And so what we have to understand is that those originally invited weren't available, so the master tells them to keep inviting. Listen, I want you to invite this group of people, and okay, they're not available, so let's go to this group of people. And okay, some of them can come, but not all of them, or there's still space then let's go to this group of people. Let's just keep inviting people as much as we can. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how accepted they are in culture. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter male or female. It doesn't matter how much money they have or don't have. They are invited to the table because I want my house to be full. And you can see this this moment where the master is wanting them to become desperate in their invitation. But I wonder how many times do you and I give up on the invitation too quick? How many times do you and I make an invite to someone and then we just assume that they probably don't want to come with us? How many times do we throw out the invite to somebody and say, hey, you know what, I know you're probably not interested, but uh, if you'd want to come to maybe church with me, I mean, you're more than welcome to. You see, we, we, we... open up an invitation with an assumption that they don't even want to come. I don't know how many of us would say yes to that type of invitation. Oh, you don't really want me there? No, no, I mean, totally would want you there. I mean, but I mean, it's totally up to you. I mean, even if you don't want you've got other things going on. I mean, I totally understand. I mean, it's church and you probably aren't into church. Like, why do we invite people like that? So he's saying, look, you got to go make the invitation and then don't give up on the first invitation. Just keep inviting. Now, you don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to lose, you don't have to be disrespectful with it. But you circle back around. So we might ask a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. We might ask them once. And then we never come back. Oh, you don't do church? Okay, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. That's cool. Let me just tell you what, what I typically do when I invite someone and they say, you know what, I don't really do church. I usually say, that's, that's awesome, neither do I. Oh, aren't you the pastor? Yes, I am. <laughs> but we don't do church, so you should really just come and check it out. Oh, you know what? I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a church person. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Neither am I. Oh, you know what? I'm not religious. 
probably, yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm not religious. Great. We have a church full of not religious people. See, there's, there's ways to have a conversation with somebody and not just go, oh, yeah, sorry, and then move on. I was, I was challenged with this the past two weeks. We've had somebody in our growth group who has recently started coming to this church in the last year really re-engage their life in a relationship with Christ. And so being a non-church person is very fresh in their memory. And I was, we were talking in our group, and, and they made this statement that they used to have friends that would invite them to church. And they would almost always say no. Really, like, out of spite, they would say no because they wanted to see how that person would react. And what they said is, was the thing that stuck with me. They said they would always invite me, and when I would say no, they would never come back around and invite me again. Never. And what I realized over time was that they were just inviting me so that I could be a number. They didn't actually care about me, or else they would have invited me again. And it just hit me all of a sudden, like, that's what we do as Christians oftentimes. We say, oh man, Easter's coming. We got to get as many people in here as we can. And so we go out and we invite everybody that we can. And they say no. And so we just move on to the next one. Well, let me go on to number two on my list or number three on my list or number eight on my list. I'm just going to keep going until I get a yes. You know, it's all a game of numbers. And I don't think that's the type of invitation we're supposed to be giving. We're supposed to care about the person that we invite. We engage in a conversation. It may take a cup of coffee. It may take buying them lunch. It may take going out of our way to do something to actually engage the person with the invitation. You see, what made Jesus' movement so exclusive was how abnormally inclusive his movement was. You see, there was no other religion on the planet that was as inclusive as what Jesus was presenting. No one, no one at the time was allowing anyone and everyone to come in and be a part of what they were doing. No religion was saying, hey, male and female, equal. Rich, poor, equal. Races, doesn't matter. Religious background, doesn't matter. You're invited to the table. Nobody was doing that. So what made Jesus' movement, what made Christianity so exclusive in the beginning was how abnormally inclusive it was. That no matter who you were or where you were from, you were allowed to sit at the table. And sometimes the reasons that somebody doesn't want to come is simply because that person is convinced that they are not welcome and that they are not wanted. See, when you sometimes will go to somebody and you'll say, hey, I would love it if you would come to church with me. There's this thing oftentimes in their minds that they feel like they're not really wanted. It's just a, it's a quick ask. It's a quick suggestion. Oh, it must be Easter. You invite me every year about this time. Oh, it must be something special. Hey, they don't feel wanted. So that's why you keep getting the no. And we've got to figure out how to break through that feeling of not feeling wanted. And we do that with a relationship. And maybe because of how other Christians have set it up in the past, that person feels like every invitation is insincere. So you and I have to be willing to break the mold on it. 
See, Jesus is telling this parable because he wants his followers, he wants this man who made the comment, he wants them to understand that this kingdom of heaven, this idea of this movement that he is, he is moving people towards is an idea where everyone is invited. And Paul takes what Jesus says and he takes it a step further and he says, hey, if they're all invited, how are they going to know they're invited unless you are the one that tells them? You can't assume that everybody just knows. See, the whole point of the parable, the whole point of the story is that God wants his followers to make it abundantly clear to everyone that they are invited to the party. You see, God wants to make it abundantly clear to every person that every person that would consider themselves a Christ follower, that they would tell everybody they know that they are invited to the party. And so my question to you this morning is is really simple. What if that is the purpose in your life right now? What if that is the purpose in your life in this moment, in this season of your life? That maybe you have been placed in a job that you hate. And you ask daily, God, why did you put me in this job? Maybe God put you in that job because you are the only person right now that is going to be able to invite the people that you work with. Maybe they wouldn't listen to anybody else, but they'll take your invitation seriously. What if you were placed in the apartment complex that you live in? So that the people in your apartment complex knew that they were invited to the party. What if you were placed in the family that you have as embarrassing as they are. But you were placed there. Because you are the person that needs to make the invitation. And what if we lived this parable out? What if we took it to heart? And you and I made a commitment that we have six days. We have six days to make sure that every person in our life knows that they are invited to the party. See, I would love it if we would adopt this statement that's going to come up on the screen as our mission. That your mission over the next several days is is very simple. And maybe every morning you would wake up and say this. That I won't allow anyone in my life to miss the party because I didn't even tell them they were invited. I don't want anyone to miss out because they didn't think they were welcome. Or they didn't think they were wanted. Or they didn't think they were even invited or included. I'm not going to let somebody that I care about miss out on the dinner. Miss out on the banquet. Miss out on an opportunity to have their life radically changed through Christ. Because I didn't want to invite them. So what if you and I took this to heart? What if you and I didn't just take this as a a message that was just a part of a series? We didn't just take this as, oh, it's the week before Easter. But we made this a regular practice. That we are going to take it seriously that the people in our lives need to know because how are they going to hear unless you tell them how are they going to believe unless they hear 
And how are they going to trust that Jesus loves them more than anything? Unless they believe. So my prayer for you, my challenge to you, is that you this week, you would just be messed up for the people in your life. That your heart would just break. I pray there's people in your life that the moment you begin to think about them, I pray that God would just break your heart for them. That there's some people that you don't even know why, you're just gonna cry the moment you think about them. Because you know that they need to know what you now know. So I, I think, I think we should make sure the house is full. I think not just in heaven, but here on earth. We need to make sure that the house is always full. That it's uncomfortable because there's no extra seats. It's uncomfortable because it's hard to find a place to park. It's uncomfortable because we run out of coffee and donut holes. Why? Because we've invited too many people. I think that would be the greatest problem in the world to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.